this morning when I came in, most of you are already here, but um, there's a lot of gifted people in this room. Um, spiritual giftedness of um, the role of custodian and just servant and jumping on this. We walked in this morning and the place was a lake and uh, a lot of people have been jumping on some things this morning to, to get the, the floors somewhat dry in here so that we could uh, meet without falling and slipping everywhere. Um, just remember uh, this morning we have our team who, who's in Kenya. Um, they, I guess it's evening time there right now, uh, Sunday evening for them. They've, uh, uh, they've had a day of, um, of worship with um, uh, We Hungary, Hung, Hungary is the name of the place where they were at. Um, they've spent the day there. David preached at the uh, church there this morning. Um, so they still have a full week ahead of them. Uh, they've only been there a couple of days. And so me in prayer for them uh, as a group of 17 uh, from, from our church. Plus, uh, we just had two return back from Haiti. They spent a week in Haiti, um, Silas and Amelia. Um, so we just have missionaries being sent all over this summer, and it's a cool thing. I was thinking about this last night. Um, I never would have dreamed that we would be part of a, a church family where when, when, when there was a mission trip to go on or a, a trip to go attend, that most of our church would be gone. Um, and that's really, really cool. I really like that. I like that we have a small group here today um, because most of our church family has been sent, uh, and it's really cool. So uh, today, what was going to happen, early plans were we were just going to have a guest speaker, a friend, or someone come in and, and teach. Uh, well, it worked out to where I'm here this morning, um, and, and we're, we're starting to go through the Gospel of John, uh, but we did set our schedule so that we would pause today for whoever might come um, so I am going to take this opportunity uh, to pause John for just a second, and, and, and I, I kind of got a bye week here. I get to take just a, a single um, message that we normally don't do. We normally preach through books of the Bible. Um, it, it's very rare that we would just go to one passage or one text uh, and, and, and talk about a certain topic in that text. Uh, but today we get to do that, and we get a break from the series in the Gospel of John. And I think the, the, the message today is, is a necessary one, uh, and it's timely in the life of our church. Um, today we're going to be talking about giving, um, and I know that that, you know, we kind of cringe when we hear that word, or when we talk about money, when we, um, that, that's one area that we're going to focus on today, but understand anytime we talk about giving, uh, we, we, we want to make sure to include our times, we want to make sure to include our talents as well as our treasures, our possessions, our money. Um, and so today, mainly, we're going to focus on our treasure, our possessions, our money. And so I was thinking about this. Why, why do we cringe? You know, why? Okay, so, okay, I came to church, and the, the, the preacher guy talked about money. And that's all we ever hear about when we hear about church or preachers or whatever else. We hear about them talking about money. Why do we cringe whenever we hear that word or, or talk about money in church, I think one big reason is because our society is filled um, with, with church leadership, false teachers who care nothing more than to line their pockets. And that's just the, that's just the honest truth. They, they seek to build their own empire. Um, sadly, they're not interested in pointing you to Jesus. 
and that's, that, that, is a, that is a tragedy, and it is becoming more and more normal in our society to see that. Um, I, I, work with a, I work with a young lady who is not a believer, um, and, and the, her only reference for Christianity is what she sees on TV. Um, and most of the time, my, my normal uh, response for someone like her would be, turn the channel. Because most of the time, those, uh, those TV figures are, are not after pointing you to Jesus as much as they are to build their own empire. Um, and it's sad, but, it, but it's true. So that's one reason I think we cringe. Another reason that I think we cringe when we talk about money, especially in, in church, and if, and, and if we're going to be really honest here, uh, we have to admit that there's a part of us, there's a part of our hearts that, um, that long to be rich. There's a part of us that longs to be wealthy. And we're driven that way, and we strive at parts of our, our heart that have a love for money. And so to talk about something like this is extremely too personal, quite offensive, actually, to talk about how I should uh, be generous, how I should give, how I should show generosity. And so it's painful when we realize, when we look at Scripture, and you see that Jesus he owns everything. I mean, he owns everything, and I own nothing. And so it hurts to see that in Scripture, knowing that our hearts have this tendency and this longing to want to be wealthy, to have material possessions, to be, to be rich. And so um, when we consider money given to the church, to the local church, for us at Sulphur Community, we want to be very, very, very transparent. Uh, about how we handle finances, uh, what we do with those finances. Um, if I'm going to stand here and ask you to participate in the mission of God here at Sulphur Community Church, how to move this mission forward, how to mobilize the gospel, the natural question that I would get from, from you or I would want to hear from you is, where does that money go? Like, what, what, do, you, what do you do with that? How do we, how do we steward our money, and that's a very fair question. It's, it's, it's a warranted question, and it's a fair one. Um, so maybe just part of setting up today, I want to just kind of give you the background of, of how we're set up. Um, as you all know, our church is elder-led, um, and we're, we're, um, we're, it's a plurality of elders, so it's not just one person. Uh, it's, a, it's a group of people. Underneath that structure is a whole leadership team of people. Uh, within the, that leadership team of people, we're talking a dozen people, uh, is, a, is a cluster of people who've been gifted uh, or who, who, as their vocation, deal with finances and things like that, who've, who've agreed to um, steward our funds for us and help manage all of those things. So there's a line of accountability um, when it comes to how our finances, how we engage our finances and how things are, how we handle our, our giving, the monies that you give, the monies that people give to Sulphur Community Church, how we handle those. Um, everything, every single cent um, is public information. If anyone ever wanted to see, hey, where's our money going? What are we spending it on? Um, it's public, every single dime of it. Uh, so we want to make sure that we're transparent with that. Just maybe a broad view of what our finances cover um, there's, there's the evil necessity of logistics, right? We meet in a public space here, uh, and it takes resources to meet um, the, the way we do. Uh, we, have, we have all kinds of, because we are somewhat of a mobile church plant who, who 
somewhat homeless, um, voluntarily homeless almost, I guess you, you could say. Um, that, that introduces a lot of logistical issues that uh, requires resources and funding to make sure uh, things happen. And so we're here, you're sitting in seats, um, we have sound system, we have those kind of things. So these, these necessities, these logistical necessities um, for our worship gathering resources, just the, the general operation of uh, of an a, a organization or an institution like a church. Uh, there's a business end where we have to do bookkeeping and all of these things that require resources and funding. So you have those. Um, but our big wins are how we give. Uh, and that's where I get excited about uh, our generosity as a, as a church family. Um, last year, our, our annual budget, after, after all the numbers came back, one of the things that just made me more happy than anything else was the fact that we gave more to missions and to compassion ministries and to outreach than we kept for ourselves. Um, and that's a culture that uh, I know for me personally that I've prayed for. I've prayed like, God, if we're going to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, then at a minimum, at a minimum, we have to give to our neighbor what we would give to ourselves, right? And so at a minimum, we need to be creating a culture where we're extremely generous, that we're helping um, in, in all areas so that the gospel um, would advance. And so we have a few places, I'll just list those for you that we're right now, uh, where our funds go to, to mobilize the gospel, to, to, to see missions move forward. Uh, one of them is the, uh, the cooperative program, and this is a, uh, this is a, a, a global collection of churches who've, who've agreed to join together and to pool their funds together um, because we can do more together than we can apart or, or by ourselves. And so we, we give 10% of all of the, everything that, that comes in uh, straight to the cooperative program. Um, here locally, we have a local missions organization that uh, we've partnered with, the, the, the Cary Baptist Association out of Lake Charles. Um, and, and they... Um, uh, they encompass, I, I want to say, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 70 churches in, in our area in southwest Louisiana. So we're, we're partnered on a global level, and we're also partnered with churches on a local level because we still believe that we can do more together than we can by ourselves. Um, right now, uh, we are funding a church planning project among an unreached, uh, unengaged people group. Uh, for, uh, you, you've seen the, the Wizen Hunts. They've come. You've met them a few times. Um, we, we, we support and fund their efforts. They're um, looking toward the third quarter, last quarter of this year, being uh, boots on the ground to begin working among an unreached group there to see a church planted and see the gospel grow uh, among a people who has never heard the name of Jesus. Uh, so we're, in, we're partnering there. Uh, we partner with local Compassion Ministry, Sulphur Christian Community Coalition, SC3, Hope House, Old School. Um, we are intimately connected and, and, and woven in with that ministry. Um, you are here because of that ministry. Sulphur Community Church uh, was born out of this Compassion Ministry, this outreach um, organization that we started back in 2010. Uh, and then just multiple outreach um, opportunities, block parties, um, ways to help the needy, um, just all sorts of things. So, so at the end of the day, when all the dust settled last year, what it looked like for our budget is that we loved our neighbor as we loved ourselves, that we gave as much to our neighbor as we kept for ourselves. And that just, man, if we can hold a culture like that, if we can, keep, if we can set a, a culture, a tone like that, and keep a rhythm like that, I believe that God would be made much of in this neighborhood. I really do. Um, so, so maybe just to do a, little, a, a few little housekeeping um, 
I want to I hit on a few, few points here. Whether you are a Christian or whether you are a non-Christian, whether you're a, a visitor here or whether you would consider yourself a family member here, the, 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 the final uh, word I want you to, to take away from today but as we jump into this um, is that God is not ultimately after your money. God does, he's not after your money. He owns everything in the universe, right? This is almighty God. He's not after what's in your wallet. He's not after your possessions. He owns everything. And he, what he would say all throughout Scripture is that he is unapologetically after your heart, not after your pocketbook, not after your finances. God is after your heart. He wants everything you have. He wants all of you. You remember the story of the rich young ruler when he came and said, hey, Jesus, man, I've been keeping all the rules. I've been doing well. Like, I've been, uh, you know, keep, I've been minding my, my, my manners. I've been uh, honoring my mother and father. I hadn't killed anyone. Like, all of these things. And Jesus said, well, that's, that's real cute. Uh, good job. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And the guy went away sad. And, and what made the guy sad was that he loved his money more than he loved God. And Jesus knew that, and that's what Jesus went after. My, that's not a universal stamp to say, here's what it takes to follow Jesus. But for that guy, he didn't love God as much as he loved his money. And so that's what Jesus went after. Jesus said, I'm after your heart. I'm not after your money. You know what? Go sell it all and give it away. I don't need it. I don't want it. I own everything. What I want is your heart. And so that's what God is after. He's after all of us. And so because of that, Sulphur Community Church is not after your money. I'm not after your money. This church family is not after your money. In fact, if you, um, if you consider yourself just a, a visitor, not a, a committed family member of Sulphur Community Church, but just someone who's here at visiting, uh, we would ask you to not give. Uh, we have a strong burden to serve you. And so that, that's, that's how much um, I want to make sure you realize that no one is after your money, especially God. God is not after your money. And this, that's, that's one, um, one phase of housekeeping to take care of. The next one is, this is not an every other week sermon for us. Um, most of you can probably, you probably can't recall a time where we actually talked about giving. Um, I did some little searches and some history on, on the stuff that since we existed, um, how many times we've talked about money and giving and generosity, and it was once, back in February of 2014, uh, when we as a church decided to actually start collecting an offering. Uh, before we did so, we wanted to take a biblical look at what it looks like to be generous, what it looks like to give. And so since then, every so often, just random moments, we might say, hey, here's how you give here at Sulphur Community Church. So... We, this is not an every other week deal for us. This is not something where we harp on or we build into every sermon that we preach. Or it, That's not what we're about. And so this is um, uncharted territory for us most of the time. But it's important to talk about. Giving, generosity, our treasures, our possessions, our money, it's important to talk about. And believe it or not, if you read through the New Testament, you would see that Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell. Like way more about money and riches and wealth and possessions than he ever talked about heaven or hell. 
And so you see how it's important to him, apparently. It's a big deal to him, and so it's a big deal to us. Third thing, God owns everything. He owns everything. Everything. He owns your house. He owns your car. He owns your family. He owns your job. He owns your finances, your possessions, your toys, your trinkets. He owns it all. It's all his. The only reason that you have anything is because of a gracious, almighty, generous God who has given you some things to steward. That's the only reason you have anything is because God is gracious. And he's, uh, he's allowed you to have some things for you to steward. And so you're to steward those well. I'm to steward the things well that God's given me. So what becomes central then, knowing that, is what is God's expectation then? If I know that he owns everything and he's given me some things to steward, then naturally what I want to know is what's expected of me. What is his expectation of me for the things that he's given me? If we're to be good stewards of these things that he's given us, we need to know what he was thinking when he gave us these things. What were his intentions when he gave us these things? And so we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, the verses will uh, probably be on the screen. Um, this is Paul writing to his, um, the, the, the young man who, who's he, who he, he's been discipling, uh, who's now a pastor of a, of a tough church in a tough location in a tough city. And he writes this, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, you take a look at that scripture right there, and one of the things that, that kind of stands out to me is Paul is being super un-American here. Like, he is, think about this. Everything we value as Americans revolves around this idea that we have a God-given right to life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And when we translate happiness, that's the pursuit of wealth. And Paul here seems to go all against this. Um, and if you, would, if you came to America, uh, one of the things that you would have a right to is to pursue riches, and you're even encouraged to do so. Like, go make something of yourself. Go make a, a good living. You have an opportunity. Go and be wealthy. Go and be rich. Many stories of heroes they, they surround uh, uh, this idea of a person who went from rags to riches. There's this uh, heroic story about that. And so verse 9, uh, if you just look at verse 9, it kind of rattles my cage. Uh, I just couldn't get off of that one little section of verse that it says this, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. That's, that's tough to hear. Because remember, all of us, we have this longing in us to be rich, to be wealthy, to, to, to have things, possessions, material things, belongings. And Paul would say here that those who desire that, those who desire to be rich, you fall into temptation. 
there's this tendency that's going to lead you towards sin. And so, so be on watch. And he's very articulate in his explanation of how dangerous it is for us to want to be rich, to have this desire. And he would say in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I want us to just make sure that we, we're seeing that clear, that money is not the root of all evil. Paul would say the love of money is the root of all evil. The first view that he would start tearing down for us is the view that money uh, is a God. Like if we, this money is a thing that we look to for security, for hope, for peace, for pleasure. It's money is that bridge that connects my heart to my desire. Like if, if that's the thing that I desire, that's what I long for, and it's going to take money to get me there. It's going to take resources, finances for me to get there. And so Paul is just dismantling this idea right now. He's, he's going through this, and he shuts the lie down, and he says, hey, listen, man, money makes a crummy God. It, money makes a terrible God, and so many of us give ourselves to worship that God. And he said, it's a terrible God. We brought nothing into this world. You brought nothing into this world, and you're taking nothing out of this world when you leave. There's coming a day when every single one of us in this room will be planted six feet in the dirt. Every one of us. So it won't matter then how much your annual salary was. It won't matter what your possessions are. That's the, man, that's the saddest thing I see sometimes. People who've who've given their lives to have nice things and to have material possessions and to work hard to collect things and to have great uh, wealth. And, and then when they pass away, none of those things matter anymore. When they're on their deathbed, they're not thinking of any of those things because you can't take any of it with you. The desire to be rich and the love of money leads us to sin. That's what Paul would say here. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. So there was a time, I know in my life and probably most of your lives, where you said or thought that I'm going to be satisfied with that amount of money. Like when I get to, when I, when I obtain that, that point in life where I'm making this much money, then I will be satisfied. I know I've done that, and a lot of people that I talk to have done that. So, and, and I, I kind of jokingly say this, um, I'm just as broke now as I was when I was a teenager and didn't have a job. Like, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where you always feel like if I can get to that next step, if, if, if I can get to this salary, if I can get these wages, then I'm going to be satisfied. And it never happens. It, it never happens happens. This attitude never stops. In verse 8, Paul would say, but if we have food, if we have clothing, with these we will be content. How many of us can say that? Like, honestly, think about that right now. How many of us can say what Paul just said? If we have food, if I have something to eat and I have a shirt to put on my back, then I'm going to be content. That's all I need. Like, that's, that's tough to say. What he's trying to tell us here is that money makes a terrible God. Don't worship that God. So many families and so many people have set their families on the altar of the money God and sacrificed that, their families there for that God. And Paul is saying, it's a, it's a terrible God. 
It just takes. It doesn't give anything. And so that's one view that he's dismantled for us. And, and the other view that he's dealing with is the fact that money is a gift. It's a gift. Look at verse 17. Just jump down a little bit to verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. One of the, one of the mistakes that many would tend to make is to carve out a piece of Scripture, to, to, to take a chunk of Scripture and to build a whole theology around that little piece of Scripture. And so you could, you could do this, many would do this with verses 6 through 10 uh, that we read to say that money and the desire to be rich, that's an evil and that's a wicked thing. And so it's just better to be materially poor. So that's what we need to strive for. Like that's a, you could build a whole theology around those few verses, but we're not, we're not able to do that. We don't have the liberty to do that. And Paul would blow that idea completely out of the water also. He says here, he says, hey, it's okay to be rich. I mean, that's what he says in verse 17. It's okay to be rich. So if you're rich, rather than just saying, hey, just trade in all of your wealth and all of your possessions and just become materially poor because that's more God-glorifying. It's not what he's saying. He's rather, don't be arrogant about it. If you're rich, don't be arrogant. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. They might be there today, but then they might be taken from you tomorrow. So don't set your, your hope doesn't belong there. Your hope belongs in Jesus. And if you're rich, be rich in good works. You have the ability and the resources and the capacity to do amazing things if you're rich. And so do those things. If, if you're rich, be generous with what God has been gracious to give you. Because all of your riches do not belong to you. They belong to God. God owns everything and you own nothing. He's given you some things to steward. And so be generous with what, what he's given you. Respond to God's generosity by being generous. And that's basically what Paul's saying there. God's been extremely generous to you. If you're rich, be generous. So just as God was generous. So if you're among us and you would be considered rich, and I know most of the people would say, oh, not me, man, like I'm barely scraping by or whatever, but in, in a global perspective, most of us in the room are likely in the top 2% richest people in the world. If you want to do some calculations and some studies and some numbers, uh, I'm not going to go into all of that, but if you take it on a global scale, every person on earth, you and I fall in the top two percentile of the richest people in the world. Let that land on you. But in our context, in our society, where we are today, if you would say, I'm, I'm doing okay, I'm, I'm well off, or I would even be considered rich. What I don't want you to hear today in all of this is that we're not happy that you're with us. I'm glad you're here. Paul would, would encourage you here with generosity. Our desire here at Sulphur Community Church is to mobilize the gospel, to, to make much of Jesus in our neighborhood by planting churches, by sending missionaries, alleviating poverty, um, 
just exercising compassion in general. Like, that's what we want to do. That's what we strive to do. And so the bottom line here is that, like, the mission of God, like, we want to see that go forward, and we need the resources to get it done. And so that's just a practical thing I can say. Um, it's not wrong to be rich. It's not wrong to have material wealth. Paul would go on to say, hey, man, you're rich. Be rich and enjoy it. He says enjoy it even. God gives us all things to enjoy. That's what he said in, in the verses back there. He says, uh, the, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So whatever you have, whatever God's given you, enjoy it. If he's given you material wealth, enjoy it. Be generous with it. You want to maximize your enjoyment of the wealth and the things that God's given you? You be generous with it. I guarantee you, you will enjoy it more if you're generous with it. And so this is what the Bible would teach us about money. And that's kind of where I wanted to start the talk. What does the Bible teach us about money? And that's what it teaches us about money. It's not... It's not good or bad. Money's a tool. Money is a gift from God. It's not God. That's what the Bible teaches us about money. The love of money is bad. It teaches us that, that the desire to become rich, to set my heart and my hope on that, that's bad. The pursuit of riches is dangerous, and that's what the Bible would teach us. So now that we've established that, what the, what the Bible does teach about money what does it teach us about giving now? What does it teach us about generosity? Three words I want to surround the rest of our time with as we walk through this next um, passage that we're going to go to. Um, if you want to start getting there, it's going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we'll be. Uh, but three words that are going to surround this text uh, that I want us to remember what the Bible teaches about giving. First, first word, sacrificial. Sacrificial. The second word is joyful. And the third one is regular. Sacrificial, joyful, and regular. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6, this is Paul writing again. He says, The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing into many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So set up some background, some context for you. This text, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Um, this church is just, there's a lot going on, man. There's a, if, 
If you look at the background of the church at Corinth, man, they had some, they had some jacked up theology. They were worshiping some craziness. Um, that like their, their mode of worship involved prostitution and things like that. It was pretty sick. And so 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul just slams them on about how they, they feel like they're right and how they're worshiping. And then this second one is just a follow-up saying, I've heard of your repentance and now here's how you need to work toward restoration and redemption. So he's writing to the church at Corinth. And the context, just give you a context of this section right here. The local church in Jerusalem, which was far away from Corinth, uh, was experiencing um, extreme famine. Uh, they, they were under uh, a very ha- uh, strong hardships and suffering. And so Paul is sending this letter, and in this section, he's pretty much writing up a fundraising letter for the church in Jerusalem right now um, as he encourages them to give. And he says, hey, the church there, they need resources, they need help, they need your generosity, and so give. Uh, so he's pretty much just taking up an offering here. He's passing the plate around the churches in this area at this time saying, hey, the church in Jerusalem, the church down the road, they're in bad shape, man. The whole city's in a famine. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. Uh, it's, it's just a mess. They're discouraged. They need help. And so I'm going around the churches writing letters, picking up some, some offerings so that we can help alleviate suffering and hardship there at the church in Jerusalem. And so this was a regular practice for the church right, uh, collecting money and using it to help the poor, um, to help the widow, to help suffering churches. A lot of what we do today is how the church functioned at, the, at this time. We, we collect, we, we, we put a collection together of all of our resources so that we can love our city, so that we can love the widow, so that we can alleviate poverty, so that we can engage all of these issues that God hates, and that God wants to use us to restore. And so Paul sums it up in verse 6, and he uses that uh, analogy. Um, well, in verse 6 he says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So the analogy he's using there is uh, he's kind of using these agricultural terms, um, which is, should be familiar to us. We're not so far removed uh, away from these terms. We're in, we're in south Louisiana uh, so there's agriculture around us, and we kind of understand that, you know, there's work like, you know, how to, how to plant stuff and how to make it grow. We see people do that. So it's not unfamiliar terms to us that, that, that he's using here. So he's saying, think about farming. He, and he's writing this letter to Corinth. He's writing this letter to us. Think about farming. Think about this guy who has a bag of seed, that he's been given a bag of seed, and he's really, really liberal with, with how he sows, how he scatters this seed. He just kind of throws it everywhere. I mean, he's just kind of being really generous with it. Um, he's being sacrificial with it. Like, he's just kind of throwing it in all over places. He doesn't have really a, a calculated row that he's dropping it in. Uh, but he's just kind of really being liberal about it, and he's throwing it everywhere. Um, and so come harvest time, right? So when that time comes, he's, he's going to have a huge crop because he was being real generous with his seed. He's been given this bag of seed, and he's just kind of put it everywhere, and harvest time is going to be pretty awesome for him. And so he's saying, if you reap plentifully, to, to reap plentifully, you're going to need to sow plentifully. You're going to, in order to, to receive, you're going to have to, to, to give, right? And that's not the, the basis for our giving. He's saying this is just the result of it. This is how it works. And so reaping what, Paul? What are you talking about when you say reaping? If I, if I sow bountifully, I will reap bountifully. 
The mission of God and the mobilization of the gospel is what Paul is talking about here when he says you're going to reap bountifully. The harvest, you're going to reap a bunch. Like the the mission of God and the mobilization of the gospel is going to impact so many more people when when you're generous and you're liberal in your giving. More people being pointed to Jesus. More disciples being made. More churches being planted. More missionaries being mobilized, more poverty being alleviated, more homelessness being made history. Like more of these things are going to happen as you show more and more generosity. That's what Paul's saying. So we must be sacrificial if we want to see these things happen. If you want to see God be made much of in our neighborhood, if you want to see poverty alleviated, if you want to see homelessness eradicated, if you want to see these things happen, if you want to see compassion shown to, the, to, to those that God loves, that God's heart breaks for, then we're, we're going to have to be ready to be very, very generous. And so every person in the room has been given a bag of seed. Every one of us has been given a bag of seed, and for, for a lot of us, we'll call it our jobs. You know, that's, that's what we've been given. And the big question that kind of hovers over us then is, what am I doing with my seed? What am I doing with what I've been given? Those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. And, and so a natural question uh, for us, you, we, we don't make any bones about it. Uh, we are uh, staunch believers uh, in the sovereignty and the providence of God. We believe that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient, um, that, that he has the entire universe in his hand, that he is um, in control of every single thing. And so the, the question that would bubble to the top now is, well, okay, well, if God is so powerful and so sovereign and, and in control of everything, uh, that he's all-knowing and that he's, he's outside of time and he can see all of history past and all of future to come in, in one moment. If this is the God we're talking about, he doesn't have the resources. Like, he can't pull it off. He needs, he needs my measly change in my pocket to get the work done. Like, that's a question that we need to wrestle with. And the answer to that question, does he have the resources? Absolutely he has the resources. Man, like Psalm 50, verse 10 would say that he owns cattle on a thousand hills. And that's not saying that he doesn't own cattle on a thousand and one hills. It's saying that God owns everything, that he, everything belongs to him. So when you think resource, when you think money, when you think time, talents, gifts, whatever they are, they all belong to God. He owns everything every single thing. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the giver of all things. God is. And he is so good to us that he wouldn't just go and do it on his own, that he would include us and invite us into his plan. That's a good God. He has invited us to participate in his mission of gospel advancement for his glory and for our good. He's invited us into this story. And as he brings glory to his name through all of these things that I've, I've, I've gone through as far as seeing churches planted and seeing people pointed to Jesus and coming to know Christ and, and being redeemed and disciples being made and missionaries being sent and churches being planted and poverty being eradicated and homelessness being made history, all of those things, when he, when he moves into the neighborhood and, and accomplishes those things, we get to be witnesses and participants of this. He's saying, come along. I want 
this, it's, it's take your kid to work day. I want you to come to work with me. I want you to see what I'm doing in the world. I want you to participate in this with me. And so God is sovereign over salvation, right? He is sovereign over salvation, and we're invited to preach the gospel. We're invited to pray for unbelievers, knowing all the while that God is in control of salvation. He's in, he's in control of hearts that have been hardened toward him. And it's only him and by his spirit that hearts will be made into flesh, that will, that will be reborn and, 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 and be made in the newness and likeness of him. He's in charge of that. And so as he's in charge of that, as he's sovereign over salvation, I believe that the darkest soul, the most hardened of hearts, can be broken, can be softened, can be illuminated whenever God chooses to do it. I I believe that. And at the same time, I believe that Romans 10 would say, no one will call upon the name of the Lord for salvation unless someone is preaching the gospel. So God is sovereign over salvation, and he's invited us to participate in that plan. God is the great healer. He is the great physician. And we're invited to pray for the sick, to lay hands on the sick, to participate in his miracles, because he loves us so much that he just doesn't want to exclude us from his purposes and his plans. Is he in charge of healing? Absolutely. He's invited us to be a part of it. He loves the orphan. God loves the orphan, and we're invited to pursue adoption. We're invited to pursue redemption of the fatherless and the motherless in our world. We're invited to participate in that. God cares for the poor, and he will invite us to be extensions of his hands and his feet in this world. Can he alleviate poverty on his own? You better believe he can. He's invited us to participate in it. He feeds the hungry. God feeds the hungry. And you have to get off of the couch and go make a sandwich. Right? You don't, God just doesn't drop that in your lap. He has provided and he's invited you to participate. Get up and make a sandwich if you're hungry. That's God. He loves us too much to exclude us and all of his purposes and all of his plans. So, Though he is sovereign, he uses human means to accomplish his purpose. So can he accomplish all of these things that I'm saying we use resources and finances for without those? Absolutely he can. He loves us too much to exclude us from that. He says, come, participate. Show extreme generosity in a way that can't even be explained. And watch how the world's just going to look and marvel at me because of that. And so the same goes with our money. He is using our financial resources to um, see his mission move forward, and he's invited us to be a part of that. And so here's the big question. How are we doing? Like how, how are we doing with this? Thinking about all of this. How are we doing at sacrificial giving? Sacrificial giving. Giving even when it hurts to give. How we doing there? What even constitutes sacrificial giving? Like, how much am I supposed to give? What is sacrificial? What should I give? Look at um, verse 7, 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
For God loves a cheerful giver. What a cop-out answer, right? Like, no, Paul, no. I want the Starbucks answer, right? Like, how much is a coffee? Well, it's nine bucks, right? And so Paul, using his, using his attitude here, would say, well, how much do you think it's worth? Well, it's surely not worth nine bucks. I'm thinking 80 cents, right? Well, Paul's saying here, no, you just give what you think's best, man. You give what you've decided in your heart to give. To give generously and sacrificially means you just you give whatever your heart has decided to give. That's how Paul instructs us to give. And so we're all about parameters and guidelines and say, hey, man, we need some rules to break here. Could you kind of kind of line some things out for us? Because we need to know, we need to know top and bottom. We need to know some parameters here. And so Paul says, okay, I know we're, we're, we're parameter-driven people and guidelines. And, and so here's a few for you. It must be sacrificial. You're giving, that's one parameter. That's a requirement. It must be sacrificial. It must be given joyfully. You must be a cheerful giver. Be happy when you give. That's another parameter. Don't give with hesitancy. Don't give unwillingly. It's another one he sets for us. And, and don't give because you're being forced to give. So those are the parameters Paul has set for us, and those are the ones we'll follow. So I'm telling you, as a, as a family of believers who, who, who are hearing me encourage you and challenge you to be generous, if you give, you give sacrificially, and you be happy about it, and you give whatever your heart has desired, whatever your heart leads you to, that's what you give. I don't want you to feel like your arm's being twisted. I don't want you to feel like I've shamed you into not giving. I don't, I don't ever point to this, uh, but that's our, that's our means of giving. We don't pass a plate around here because of that verse right there. I don't know if you've ever stopped to look at the sign and what it says, but it says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So how do you give here? However your heart has desired. Because... Because Christ is not after your money. He owns everything. He's after your heart. So give however your heart has desired to give. And that's what we'll ask from you. And this is the clearest New Testament instruction for giving. And because it's the clearest New Testament mode of giving, it's what Sulphur Community Church will this is how we'll understand giving and generosity. One word that you have not heard me use this entire time is the word tithe. I haven't used that word once. And that, that now that bubbles to the top. What about tithing? Hold on, what about tithing, Blake? Because that's, that's, I understand that that's how we give to the mission of God is by tithing, to give a tenth of all that I've earned um, to, to go back to God um, for the movement and the mobilization of the gospel. Let me say this. 10% is a great place to start. I would encourage you to start there. We are a church who believes firmly in New Testament generosity, and this means that we don't take Old Testament tithing principles as a universal standard for giving, saying everyone here gives a tithe, and that's, that's how we give. That's what we do. The New Testament never mentions tithing. 
Think about that. The New Testament never mentions the word tithing. Is it contradicting what the Old Testament said? No, it's not. Scripture doesn't contradict itself. We need to understand what tithing was in the Old Testament so that we understand how to be generous and how to give now under this new covenant. So to understand Old Testament tithing, I'll just kind of give you a few facts. Uh, there wasn't just one tithe in the Old Testament. Like, hey, here's 10%. All of God's people give 10% of your crop or you give 10% of your, heart, your, your, your herd or whatever, and, and that's how you give. There were actually, depending on who you talk to, three to four different tithes in a year that God's people would have to give. And so if we're going to follow Old Testament principles and practices of tithing, then, then we, need to, we need to change up the way we think of the word tithe here. So the New Testament version of giving is this. Here's how I believe the New Testament instructs us to give and to be generous. You give what your heart's decided to give. That's it. Give what your heart has decided to give. So we should look at 10%, the, the, the tithe, as maybe the floor rather than the ceiling. And God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. And so you give how you've decided in your, in your heart to give. And it doesn't say that God favors a cheerful giver. It doesn't say that, you know what, I desire to love this person more than this person because they're happy when they give. It says God loves a cheerful giver, that his heart is stirred by joyful generosity, that God is happy whenever he sees joyful generosity and, and joyful giving. So this turns the question then to, I mean, because that's one that, a message like this, the question would start becoming, well, how, how much do I give? Well, how much do I give? Like, I need that parameter. And now the question becomes, how much do I keep? Not how much do I give, but how much do I keep now? Now that I understand what Paul's saying here, what Christ has called us to, how much do I get to keep? You keep whatever your heart's desired to keep, and you give whatever your heart's desired to give. How much does God want me to have? Look at verse 8 with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seeds for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul has encouraged us to give sacrificially, to give joyfully, and to give regularly. And as God provides seed for sowing, that's how we give. So as God provides, that's how we give. And that's how he said it. Um, in, in verse 10, he said, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. As God shows generosity to you and to me, we show generosity to others. That's how it works. 
And so don't take this verse and twist it and say, well, you know what? If I give money, uh, God's going to rain down fine cars and big houses on me. Like, and so it's really like this awesome investment plan that's always going to work out to where I'm going to put in a little. God's going to give me a little back, and I'm going to keep doing this, and this is going to be a cool thing. Like, that's not how it works, and don't twist these verses to say that. That's, that's giving to get, right? That's, that's, that's not joyful or cheerful giving. That's Give, that's greedy giving. That's saying, I'm giving only to get more back. And that's not what's going on here. That's saying, I'm playing the God lottery here, and I'm going to put some money down and hope I win something back. Verse 11 says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. It is true. I believe it is solid truth that those who are faithful with little those who, who've been given little and who are faithful with that and who are generous with that, um, God would tend to give them more resources because they're trustworthy. Because God knows that they're not hoarders. And God wants equity in this world. And he wants to use us to exercise his justice in this world. And so he gives so that we would give. And we, when we hoard as he gives, we will see less and less come our way. God's going to be generous to those who are generous. And the big lie that I know that many of us believe, many of you especially, you're young in here and you're just starting your careers and things like that, is, you know what? When I get a raise, I'm going to be more generous. When, I, when, I'm, when I'm getting this money, when, I'm getting, when, I, when I get to that point in my salary, then I'm going to become generous. Let me tell you something. More money does not make you generous. It does not make you generous. It makes it harder to be generous. When we trust God, even when it's just a little, we open our hands because God has been generous to us. We build in our hearts a rhythm of generosity, right? That just, that's just natural to us. Even when we've been given a little, we show generosity. We be faithful with the little things that God has given us so that whenever we're entrusted with more, when God gives us more, then the culture is already set, that I'm just a generous person, that I've trained myself to not love money so much that I can't let it go, that that's already been said. So more money doesn't make it easier to give. It makes it harder to give. And so do you regularly give to the local church? Big question. Do you regularly give to the local church. Let me tell you this. Um, if Sulphur Community Church is the field that you're eating fruit from, from if, if you're picking from the trees and the vineyard at Sulphur Community Church, then what we're asking for is for you to help us by sowing seed in this field with us. That's what we're asking for. And Paul would encourage the church to create a rhythm of giving, like, hey, this is how you need to create these rhythms and these habits of, of how you give. Um, just, you don't have to turn there because we're just going to stay there for a second, but chapter 16, it would open up. He would say, now concerning the collection for the saints, uh, this is where he's talking about the, the church at Jerusalem when he was encouraging them to, to, he was taking up this offering. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, those, the church back in Jerusalem, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So it can be summarized this way. As you receive, give. 
Create a rhythm. Create a habit. As you receive, you give. Giving is an act of worship, and that's where we'll kind of land this thing today. That, that you, here's what the Bible says about money and possessions, and here's what the Bible says about giving. But the big idea is this. Giving is an act of worship. Generosity is worship. Look, at, look back at you. If you're still at chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians, verse 12, it says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So Paul says, hey, man, when, this, when the church in Jerusalem receives this offering, all this money that you've pooled together, when they see your generosity, not only uh, is it going to further the, the, the mission of the church in Jerusalem, not only is it going to alleviate their suffering and hardship, it's going to glorify God. Like they're going to see your generosity knowing that you don't have a lot either. Okay, the church at Corinth wasn't just this booming church that just had wealth overflowing, they were giving as they were able to give. And, and Paul would say, when the church sees that, obviously some of these logistical issues are going to be worked out, but also the mission of God would be moved forward, will be pushed forward. And most of all, their hearts are going to come alive, that God's going to be glorified because they're going to celebrate the provision that God has given them. And so giving and generosity is an act of worship. And most of the time, as we worship and as we show generosity, it's so that we can cause others to worship God and to glorify God and to celebrate Him. I can't tell you story after story after story of people who we've been able to help just say that that's, that's right where they go. They understand, and we make sure to tell them that this is just something that God has given to us on loan that we just want you to have. We want, you to, we want to help you, in a, and we might need help tomorrow. Today you need help, and we have the means to help, and so tomorrow it might be the tables may be turned. And our hope always as we give and as we show generosity to others is that God would be glorified, that they would celebrate God, that they would worship God, knowing that that's where it came from. I don't own anything. God owns it all. And so what I have here, he's given me to give to you. So there it is. And so you thank God and you celebrate God in all of those things. And that's what he's saying here. So personal story to share with you as we come to a, a close. Um, Ashley and I went through a period whenever we were young, just newly married, um, where, I, and I might have even shared this story before, but man, we were poor, like poor, 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 like we didn't have nothing, we couldn't like go anywhere or do anything, it was just kind of one of those things like, oh man, we're going to we can't do anything because we've got to keep the lights on this month. And, you know, just kind of in a tough spot like that uh, for a while. But we never, we never, like, got to a point where we were having to ask for help. We were able to make ends meet just barely, and sometimes they, we had to stretch them. Um, but there was, a, there was a, an older couple who loved us well through that time um, that we, we didn't even know that they realized our situation um, but they did. They were paying attention to us. There were people who loved Jesus and loved people. Um, and uh, they just randomly said, hey, we, are, we have this dinner set up. It's a nice uh, dinner uh, um, banquet benefit thing that we, we've, got, we've got seats at a table for. 
um, and, and we would love for y'all to come. Uh, we, we're going to set up a babysitter, uh, and you guys just come out with us. Something that, that's kind of small in the, in the big scheme of things that I think about it today, uh, but it was not small at all. That was huge for us to, first of all, that someone noticed, that someone noticed that, man, things weren't going well for us. Like, we were borderline, you know, impoverished over here, you know, and, and so people took notice of that, uh, and, they, and they, uh, their answer wasn't, hey, here's some money, now go buy you some groceries. Their answer was, hey, come with us, spend the evening with us. We just want just to love on you guys, we want to encourage y'all. Uh, we know that you're a young couple and you're struggling, and we have the means to show some generosity and some love, and so we want to do that. Uh, that was a small thing. I guarantee you today, if we talked to that couple, they would probably have no recollection of that because it was that small to them. But that's how big of an impact it made on us, that I will never forget that act of generosity shown to me for the rest of my life, that they just noticed that, they noticed the need, and they just stepped in, man, and said, hey, we just come spend the evening with us. That's, you know what? It caused us to be thankful to God for his kindness. Yes, we're grateful for our friends, those who loved us well, right? But most of all, we were thankful. We were grateful that God showed his kindness to us, that he, he showed generosity through them. When we knew that's where, that we knew that was the channel that it came through. And so God received glory in that. They didn't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you their name because they, they don't want their names known or anything like that. But God received glory, and that's what they wanted. And so generosity causes worship. Showing generosity, exercising generosity, and receiving generosity causes worship. And I've been continually encouraged by what this little tribe of believers at Sulphur Community Church, what, what we've accomplished so far. Like, I've been, like, really blown away. And at the same time, and hear me, I'm going into a harder place now. At the same time, generosity is an area a major area of weakness for Sulphur Community Church. Just on a practical level, it's, it's an area of weakness for us. I don't think that our family here has these rhythms of generosity, these habits of giving. And many of you would consider Sulphur Community Church your home, like your home church, your family, and, and you've made small to little to no commitments with your time, with your talents, and with your treasure. And that's what we're asking for. What we're asking for is, hey, if you're pulling from the vine here, if you're enjoying the fruit of the labor and the harvest that is going on in this room and in this neighborhood, then what we want you to do is just help us, join us. What I don't ever want you to hear is, Hey, here's a guy up here asking for money. I don't want you to hear that. First of all, whether you know this or not, this is not something we just publicly put on display all the time, but we're a volunteer-led church, pastors and all. There's no, the only salary that we pay is the salary for the custodians to come open the building for us. That's our only staff members we have here. And so I benefit nothing from asking you to be generous. And that's how we've got, that's how we have it set right now. And so I'm throwing these kind of, these hard arrows at you, but I want to, I want you to see that God loves a cheerful, generous 
giver, one who's sacrificial in their giving, one who's joyful in their giving, and one who regularly gives. And so I'm speci- I've been specifically talking about treasures today, but let me just throw the banner back over your time. What, what time do you have to give to, to mobilizing the gospel in our neighborhood? What, what talents do you have? How are you gifted? God's asking for those things. He's given those to you for you to steward. How are you stewarding those? How are you using those to see that he has made much of? And in your giving and in your generosity. Imagine what we could do if every person who considers themselves a a family member at Sulphur Community Church, which is about 50 people, imagine what we could do if everyone gave sacrificially of their time, their talents, their treasures, as their heart has decided to give. And if I was to stop right here, this would be the worst sermon ever, right? I just gave you a bunch of moral list of things to do, or it might already be the worst sermon ever, but it would, if I left it here, it would just stay that way. Um, I don't want you to hear me tell you, as a church, do better. We believe the gospel too much to say, do better. I look at how Paul roots this entire discourse, this whole conversation he's having in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, his indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for that gift. And if you know anything about Sulphur Community Church, we are a gospel people. Everything we do and say, how we give, how we serve, how we preach, how we love the community is centered around the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we are all unworthy peasants in the light of who Jesus is, that we all are nothing and reduced to nothing. We are all impoverished and have nothing apart from Jesus Christ. And so we've been given the ultimate gift that we've been shown ultimate generosity in what Christ has done. And you've, we've seen this and experienced Jesus and the generosity, this inexpressible gift that we've been given. Like, we've experienced that. And when it comes to the gospel, thanks be to God that we do not reap what we sow. All right? So in our giving, if we sow bountifully, we will reap bountifully. Thank God with the gospel that we don't reap what we've sown, because we are utterly hopeless and helpless without Christ. And Christ didn't say, do better, and then I will give. Christ said, while you're not doing so good at all, while you, while, actually, while you are offensive to me, I'm going to come, and I'm going to give the ultimate gift, the ultimate sacrifice. The, I'm going to show the ultimate act of generosity, and I'm going to come and give you the righteousness that I've earned, that I've maintained, the righteousness that you've squandered, and I'm going to give that to you, and I'm going to take your sin away. That's where all of our generosity and all of our giving and all of our um, compassion, all of our work, all of our service, all of our time, all of our talents and gifts, that's where it all flows from. So if we're to be a people of the gospel, if we're to be gospel-centered in our giving and how we give, then we don't have to sit there and say, I wonder if such and such deserves that. I wonder if so and so is deserving of my time, my treasures, my resources. Thank God Jesus didn't do that for us. 
Thank God he didn't say, I wonder if they deserve it, because we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve what Christ did for us. And we do not deserve what he continues to do for us. We have been given forgiveness and righteousness, and our model for generosity is only found in Christ. That's where our model for generosity comes from. One who saw us utterly bankrupt and hopeless and desperate and undeserving, and he showed a kind of generosity that you, you can't even express with words, is what Paul would say here. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That inexpressible gift is Jesus. And we've been given that gift. And so I'll close with this verse, and then um, we'll be done. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So let's pray.